And good morning, everybody. Hello. This is Giovanni McGuire again, speaking to you on October 28th, 2023. So, I was going to do this uh, podcast a little bit later, but uh, I decided it just kept kept haunting me. So I'm going to launch into my opinion when it comes to this new movie by Martin Scorsese called Killers of the Flower Moon. Now, as I uh, hinted in my previous podcast, um, when I went to see the movie, uh, kind of went with, with very high expectations. Um, Robert De Niro, Leonardo DiCaprio, I think they're very good actors, obviously. Um, but Martin Scorsese, in particular, is a hero of mine. Um, I wanted to be a writer-director. Uh, I got there on the documentary um, in, in that in that respect, but I, I never quite made it to my dream of being a, a writer-director in, in the uh, world of dramatic film. But, you know, I had my close calls, and I've moved on since, but... Uh, Definitely have some opinions about the film world and uh, kind of material that they're putting out today. Uh, kind of material that they're putting out today is, I think we're at the low point. We're actually at the high point of our ability to make movies. Amazing practitioners, people who can, you know, act well, direct well, all this stuff. The writing is not not so good. I hear on TV it's better, but. Um, the writing is the thing that is the that is the the most overlooked um, part of it, and um, without a good script, you're not going to have a good movie, and without a good script, you, nobody's going to be able to work. So you know, with the writer's strike being over, um, it's important to center the writer, and uh, the, really the writer should get most of the credit um, for the movie, and uh, well, that's just uh, not has never been the case in the film in the film industry. However, um, we do have a film industry and it's 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 run in a certain way. It's not quite like it was in the studio days, but it's dominated um, by very commercial types of product. And uh, that's where I think we're we're hurting the most. Um, I mean, I'm definitely in Martin Scorsese's corner when it comes to you know, lamenting the fact that, you know, every other film is a superhero movie. Um, I think you could probably make a pretty good one, but most of them are just adolescent kind of stuff. I mean, I, I don't see how this is the best of what we can produce. Um, whereas people argue, argue with me on that. And, um, you know, so be it. But I'm going to put forth my, my point of view. And so... Um, I love Martin Scorsese. I love his movies. Of course, Taxi Driver, I think, is genius. Um, Raging Bull is genius. Uh, Goodfellas, okay, it's one of these mob things. Um, but it's pretty darn well, you know, made very well. Um, you've got The Irishman, which I thought was very good. And he's got some other ones that are notable, um, some of which I like quite a bit, and some of which that I, I don't think are good at, at all. And he kind of prides himself in being able to be the director's director. In other words, he can take any movie in any genre and, and make a good film. You know, some of his heroes were those kind of directors, and that was during the studio days. Now, it is a shame that Martin Scorsese had to go beg for money to make this film. Um, but the real problem here is the film itself. And I'm kind of disappointed at the way it turned out. And there's only one person you can, you know, the word is blame, but... Uh, uh, this film was, was, was misguided and, uh, I think it was misguided from the very beginning. And, uh, in this case, it's very much a case of the, the writing was, was the main issue. Um, so I don't know if this is so much a, a, uh, criticism of Mar Martin Scorsese or, or the people who wrote the, the material. So the person who wrote the material is a very well-known screenwriter and has amazing credits, responsible for Forrest Gump, um, which I think is not a very good movie. Um, I'm a, another one where I'm an outlier on it. People love that movie. 
Um, I think it's got, uh, well, I guess it's got its heart in the right place, but it, 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 there are, it shares some similarities with, with, with this film, Killers of the Flower Moon, in that uh, there's uh, these central characters who are white. You know, in the case of Florence Gump, he was, had some intellectual challenges, right? But, um, you know, we always get into this problem where when white people, which is the majority of the film business, right, and people who have the power, make movies about uh, people who are not white, um, they tend to be problematic. And uh, you got to really wonder if it's conscious, subconscious, or unconscious from a psychological point of view. Um, you know, it's almost gotten to the point where if you're a white director or a white writer um, and you're doing a material that has to do with, let's say, African Americans or indigenous people or Asian people or, I mean, you name it, um, there's, a, there's a high probability that for whatever reason, you know, because you're, you're so steeped in the, in the, in the dominant culture, you're, you're going you're gonna to make some rather grave errors, in my opinion. Um, and, uh, wow, if you're aware of it and you still go ahead and make it, that's, that's even worse. But, um, you know, for instance, with Killers of the Flower Moon, um, certainly at this day and age, um, we have indigenous writers and directors who could have easily been hired to make this movie. And you, you could say, well, you know, if it weren't Martin Scorsese, nobody would sign on to it. Well, okay. Uh, you, you got a point. I mean, there is there's certain reality to that. But uh, I think we have to get past this. And if you're going to make a movie about indigenous people, for God's sakes, I mean, there are so many people out there who are indigenous who can do do the story justice. Um, you should go out and hire them and do it. But anyway, uh, part of the problem is that the book that the, the Killers of Flower Moon is based on is a is a, is a, is a work of nonfiction. Right? So these are real events, real people. Um, I'm not exactly sure how accurate the book is. I didn't read the book, there's a disclaimer there, but I know it was written by a, by an Anglo fellow. Um, and, uh, well, you can decide if he's Anglo, I guess, but, um, you know, he comes from within the power structure and he had a particular point of view, which made a little bit more sense to me because this is essentially a story of the Osage, right? It's the story of the indigenous people who were the victims of these crimes. Now, when I say victims, that automatically begs the question, I mean, are we in a position where we want to keep making films about um, victimhood? Um, of course, you want to be sympathetic to people who have been abused and, in this case, murdered and covered up and the rest of it, but... Um, you know, there are stories, clearly, where um, indigenous people are not, you know, their, their, their sole function within the film, let's say, or within the narrative, is to be the victim, right? I mean, there are plenty of stories, and certainly there are ones that are already being made out of Hollywood. So hats off to those people who are supporting these indigenous artists who are telling the stories of the indigenous people um, that are, are not victim-based, Right where they play this, they play front and center, but are not the victims, right? I mean, I think in a certain way you can't get around a certain amount of that because that, that's the reality on the ground. But um, you know, I, I think if if you if you take that point of view from the beginning, you're going to run into some trouble. Now in this case, there's no way out because they were clearly victims, and it was a horrific uh, set of events that happened. But um, the person who wrote the, the original, David Grand, who wrote the original book, um, kind of took it, as is his, his, his um, you know, predilection, to have take it from the point of view of like, okay, this is like a murder mystery. You know, most of his pieces that you see in The New Yorker or in books that he's written involve some kind of investigation, right? And this one is no different. So... He somehow caught wind of the story, a very interesting story, no doubt, and uh, he 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 kind of took it from that point of view, like, what happened? What's the mystery? It's like reading a murder mystery, you know. Um, 
In this case, it's mass murder or serial murder, I guess. I don't know. But um, um, that's kind of the, the point of view. And it's part of his title, of course. Um, it's not just Killers of the Flower Moon. It's also, you know, I think the other, the second half of the title is And the Birth of the FBI, something to that effect. Now, that's taken into account in the movie. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the FBI or the version of it that was around before the FBI was officially sanctioned. Um, you know, it took uh, two plus hours for those people to show up in the movie. Um, so it's a very slow movie, three, three hours plus. Needlessly long um, to the point where you really get bored. And uh, uh, there's a certain point where length, I, I'm not a big believer in making short f films, you know, uh, you know, like the Standard is, you know, I've had producers call me and do you, ask me, do you have a 120-page script? And I'm like, well, what's the likelihood of me having a script that's exactly 120 pages? I don't think I have any. I have some around there. I could, I guess I could make it that. But they want 120 exactly. And I'm like, well, okay. The story should tell itself. It should come, you know, should be however many pages, you know, it turns out to be. Or however many hours, but in this case, the length didn't really serve any purpose. It just made me bored. But um, anyway, you you get into the story through the through this murder mystery angle, which is, you know, okay, um, you know, something happened, and they, you know, some people were trying to figure out what was going on, and then this outside force comes and starts investigating. And uh, it's interesting because in the film, the, these investigators seem seem really um, very competent. But apparently in the book, what you learn is that these investigators were not very competent. And uh, it's kind of a fledgling industry. And even the some of the techniques that you would use to solve crimes were still in their infancy. So it was more like a bunch of bumbling idiots, you know, trying to figure something out. And uh, that was certainly not portrayed in the in the film, because there it seemed like oh here come basically the white guys, the other white guys, the good guys, the cowboys, right with the cowboy hats, are going to come in and um, save the day. Well, that's what it seemed like, and of course there was a nod because to the indigenous people there because there was one guy who was an investigator in real life, who was apparently had indigenous ancestry, and he was part of the team that eventually was able to prove what happened, and thus the bad guys thrown into jail, etc. But, um, you know, that still decenters the Osage from their story, right? Because what would have been much more interesting to me is to tell a story from their point of view, you say, well, how do you do that? That that's not obvious. Well, of course it's not obvious. Um, you know what they what what has been done and what Hollywood usually does is what is obvious, right? So the problem with Scorsese is his version took that already flawed point of view, in my opinion, and turned it into an even more flawed point of view because during the course of the movie, what you realize is that this is not about the Osage at all. I was just like, wow, you know, people. Have criticize people calling this a Western, but it did remind me of it being a Western because, you know, the, the, the indigenous people in the movie, right, were just there, you know, because it was necessary, you know, and they were just kind of, you know, like pawns in the story, right? I mean, they were just there because they were necessary, not because, you know, I mean, there was some humanity to it, of course, Lily Gladstone's, um, character was, you know, had a certain complexity and she played it very well. But, um, you know, it just, uh, it, it decentered the, the, the story from the Osage. It decentered the story from the, the FBI angle. And then it actually focused on Robert De Niro and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's characters, who were the villains. And um, to some degree, you know, the, 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 the narrative is, is trying to center you, not just in their universe, but in their, in their emotional space, the point where you're trying to put yourself in their position, in a sense, right? And, and there's a certain 
sympathy um, toward these characters, even though they're despicable. You know, and it's typical of a Scorsese film, you know, these horrible people who are murderers and thugs and just the worst of the worst. But within, you know, let's say the, the mob, you know, there's this kind of unspoken code of conduct and, you know, loyalty and all this. Stuff. So there are things that, you know, you would consider good attributes even within these horrible organizations. And that's a redeeming quality. And so in Killers of the Flower Moon, that's kind of the center of the of the story is about these two characters, and they're both despicable. One who's truly despicable because he's just, you know, he's the worst. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? Because he appears to be this upstanding white person who is a friend of the Osage and turns out to be exactly the opposite. And then you have the letter uh, DiCaprio character who, you know, is much more of a bumbling idiot. Um, but you know he fall he falls into his the other you know Robert De Niro's uh, character's orbit, and starts doing the dirty work to the point where he's poisoning his own wife, who's Osage. That's Lily Gladstone's character, and uh, trying to inherit her fortune from from the from the oil that's been found on on these reserves. Uh, on on the on not the reserves. Uh, what I should say is on the Osage Nation's land, which they actually purchased. Um, themselves. That's another interesting angle, because most people who are indigenous were forced onto reservations, and they they don't own the land necessarily. It's kind of almost like a lease in terms of the Bureau of Indian Affairs, as I understand it. Of course, I'm not an expert on any of this, but um, let me just let me just keep going. Um, if I, if my facts are wrong, people should let me know. Anyway. Um, so, you know, I'm watching this movie and I'm trying to figure out why are we, how are we supposed to invest in these people who are so despicable and, and just unlikable? You know, even before you know that they're killers and, you know, really evil people, um, it's really hard to like them because um, they're just not very uh, likable characters. Now, you could say, well, that's the whole point of an antihero. Yeah, okay, I get it, but... But 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 you have to be able to invest in it, and I I couldn't do it. I, I I don't know if anybody else invested in it, but I should hope not. Um, I didn't I didn't like any of these characters, uh, pretty much any of the white characters, and maybe that's supposed to be the way it is, in this film. But since you center these people, you you have to have some. There has to be something about them, that's that's likable or that you have sympathy for, and and there has to be some amount of redemptive. Quality now, people don't like that term re redemptive, but I think it's a fairly reasonable thing to do uh, to see um, in a movie. Um, Paul Schrader being the king of redemptive dramas, right? People who are despicable, but who actually end up, you know, you you do end up actually feeling sympathetic to them, and uh, and they do change their ways, and they and they try to be the best that they can after they after they come to grips with what they've done. Right and and the the gardener is is an an excellent example. Paul Schrader's most recent movie of of this kind of thing. Now there, there are problems in that too, because um, there are African American characters in it, and there's there's a lot of stereoty stereotypical, uh, you know, kind of characterizations. But um, I think the spirit of it is in the right place. So I I would suggest watching that movie um, over over this one. But anyway, getting back to Killers of the Flower. So you have these two despicable characters who are, are just unlikable from the beginning. So I, I'm not relating to them at all. And uh, I think that's the, the biggest problem in this, in this movie. And apparently the, there was some pressure by Leonardo DiCaprio to rewrite things in a certain way. And I think that was a bad idea. Um, but there are far, far more serious transgressions um, I'm, just, I'm just saying the foundation of the movie is, is kind of, in my opinion, wrong, for lack of a better word, um, from the very get-go. So I'm going to go and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this and try and center somebody who's indigenous, right? Um, so if you go to the Wikipedia uh, entry on this film, of course, you, uh, you know, see the whole history of it. Um, 
and you know that it's gotten these amazing um, accolades. Apparently got a nine-minute uh, standing ovation. And of course, I think the standing ovation, this is at Cannes. Now, Europeans have, a, have an even more peculiar point of view when it comes to affairs of the American, you know, things that are happening in America. Um, so it was not a surprise to me that a European audience would react very positively to this film. Um, it's almost an apology kind of thing, uh, it seems to me. But, you know, nine-minute standing ovation. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what they're, what they're, what, 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 what they're, I guess what they're, what they're, you know, not to be cynical, but I guess what they're trying to, to applaud is the fact that we recognize that the Osage were victims and that in the end, you know, the bad guys did, did get caught and, you know, the good guys, I guess, were, I wouldn't say left alone, but, um, I don't know. We'll get, we'll get back to a lot more of this, but, um, here is a review from an indigenous person, okay, which I was very happy to see, because I'm like, yeah, this sounds more like what I experienced. So, um, one of the critical responses, apparently, Devery Jacobs, I, I, I think, I don't know if that's the way that, uh, pronounce her name, but anyway, um, Devery, I'm going to read, just read this right off. This is apparently in Entertainment Weekly. Um, quote, Devery Jacobs, who plays Ellen Laura Dannon the Stoic in Reservation Dogs, which I understand is a, uh, you know, the kind of show that you do want to encourage because it's, you know, it's about indigenous people, their stories, less in the victimhood area, directed, writ written, etc., etc. So I believe so but I'm not familiar with it, but shared her painful experiences watching the film on social media. And the word painful is in quotes. <laughs> uh, that's another thing that I've noticed in the Israeli um, Hamas uh, coverage, right? That when the Israelis say something, it's just verbatim repeated on the television. When the Palestinians say something, like how many people are dead and all the rest of this, um, They'll say, well, purportedly, or they'll say, according to the Gaza Health Ministry, or, you know, it's always qualified, as if their facts are somehow not as legit as the facts of the Israeli government. Well, you know, here we go. I don't know who writes these Wikipedia things, but shared her painful, in quotes, experiences watching the film on social media. So here's a quote. Being native, watching this movie was fucking hellfire. I can't believe it needs to be said, but indigenous people exist beyond our grief, trauma, and atrocities. Our pride for being native, our languages, cultures, joy, and love are way more interesting and humanizing than showing the horrors of white men, the horrors white men inflicted on us. It must be, and then dot, dot, dot. It must be noted that Lily Gladstone is an absolute legend and carried Molly with tremendous grace, dot, dot, dot. All the incredible indigenous actors were the only redeeming factors of this film. Give Lily her goddamn Oscar, but while all of the performances were strong, if you look proportionately, proportionally, each of the Osage characters felt painfully underwritten while the white men were given way more courtesy and depth. Now, that is even an understatement. <laughs> I think she's trying to be diplomatic to some degree. Um, in my opinion... Uh, you can multiply that by 10. Uh, that is so spot on um, that uh, I wish we had people who were free to voice their opinions. Now, as I said in the last episode, that, you know, critics are not free to voice their opinions. You might think they are, but criticism of movies has turned into what it, what it, what it, what it naively was back in the old days. Um, to something akin to advertising PR, because the if you're going to have access to the people in the movie, um, you you need to kind of promote a positive. It's kind of like YouTube, where you know there are people there who get scrub all the negative comments out. Right? You can only have positive comments, which I guess does serve a purpose. But 
keeps all these crazy people off who are just there to, you know, rant and rave. But it, it, it makes dishonest by, by definition, right? You have to have all the opinions, right? Unless it's really dangerous and, you know, like riot, riot invoking or something. I mean, you should leave these. I, I've said things on YouTube that are just mildly critical and they've been scrubbed off. It's, it's amazing how, what, what little, you know, kind of bit of negativity you have to put in you know, for people to, you know, to scrub it off, right? So anyway, um, yeah, I think that's that's a, a much more realistic view, but it's also, um, unfortunately, the minority view, right? Um, so when people talk about the film, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what they, what they, you know, whatever they're saying that's positive about it, I'm trying to figure out, well, okay, does that make sense? Well, most of what they're saying that's positive has nothing to do with the story, necessarily. It has more to do with the filmmaking aspects and all this other stuff. But anyway, so I'm going to go over to um, to Anthony Lanes because he's the only person I can find that people have heard of who's a, a well-established critic um, who at least, I think, tries to set the record straight. So in the New Yorker article, it says... Um, as part of his uh, review, it's the title is Dramatic and Moral Ambitions Clash in Killers of the Flower Moon. Martin Scorsese's epic about the Osage murders honors indigenous suffering, but the action keeps getting pulled back into the orbit of the white male perpetrators. So I don't know if it honors the indigenous suffering because I just felt like these people were props. If I were the Osage people, man, I'd be so pissed. Um, you know, Obviously, being an Anglo person myself, I mean, I have to be careful because, you know, it's not just like all, all Osage people think this and whatever. But, ooh, I mean, you would think that there must be some people who are a little bit dissenting. And, and certainly, I, I would imagine even some of the actors involved, um, when they saw the final product, must have been a little taken aback um, at the very least. But... Um, the spirit of what he's saying, I think, is correct. So he goes into movies that were made in the uh, past. So he's talking about Giant with James Dean and the oil well erupts well. And in Martin Scorsese's film, it was a similar uh, uh, situation that happens at the very beginning of the movie where, uh, you know, you have people in the Osage, you know, I mean, see, it looks like it's mostly men who are kind of in traditional garb, or maybe not even traditional garb, I don't know. And here it says, stripped to the waist, dancing in slow motion, in unfeigned joy as a shower of oil falls upon them. Okay, so this is something that, you know, the the, the point he's trying to make by illustrating this is, is, is not that the same point I'm going to make. But, um, you know, he basically says, it may be the one happy vision of the entire film. From here on, oil will take second place to another precious commodity that gushes with the aid of human know-how. There will be blood. Okay, so the the point being that, you know, the Osage, you know, at some, at some point they, they discover that there's a huge amount of oil underneath the land that they own, and this is how they became fabulously wealthy. Now, that's one thing you know, to put it in the context of the time. That's what made them their fortune. But um, on the other hand, uh, in today's climate, I mean, you are making a movie, so you're looking at it from today's point of view. The first thing that came to mind to me was like, oh my God, here's, here are these native people, indigenous people who are, are, are doing some kind of, you know, what looks like a cultural dance or some, some, some kind of traditional thing, and, and they're being splattered with you know, the oil that's coming out of this, out of this oil well. And I thought, I immediately thought, oh my God, you know, that, that's such a, a, a scary uh, juxtaposition, you know, um, particularly given the fact that indigenous people have been at the forefront of the fight against many of these oil pipelines that are being, um, you know, forced onto their land and you know, our other people's land too, but it seemed, uh, wow, really clueless and 
uh, culturally insensitive to see a group of indigenous people doing some kind of tribal dance being splattered with oil um, you know while they were doing it and uh, I guess if it makes sense in the movie like there's there, there, it's supposed to be a celebration of the fact that you know they found this oil and they're, they're about to be fabulously wealthy but wow I don't know in the, in the greater context it just it just seems so uh, you know uh, you know it uh, just lacked um, <laughs> sensitivity and was just a huge faux pas in my in my eyes. Now you could say, well, you know, it's kind of symbolic of, you know, the disease of the white Anglo settler European descent, right? Um, you know, since they were making this money off the oil business, right, which was, you know, mostly a a white man's endeavor at the time. Um, this was their fall from grace in a way, right? It was symbolic that they, if if you adopt the white man's way, it's going to end up uh, really just killing you in this case. But it's going to distort your your values and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so in that sense, the imagery kind of made sense. But that wasn't the that you got to be careful with imagery. I mean, everybody's going to take something different from it, but. That was my first impression. Oh my God, it's 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 so tone deaf. Ooh, God, what a terrible way to open up a movie. But anyway, um, yeah. So he continues to talk about the basic facts, right? Um, and you know, the Osage made a lot of money, but they were still under the thumb of Western people, right? In terms of their ability to to take their money and use it the way they wanted to. So in those days, if you, ironically, if you were full-blooded Osage, you were considered 100% incompetent, you know, to be able to manage your own affairs. So there were apparently people who were assigned to them to, to be their representatives when it came to any kind of business or legal transactions. But nonetheless, they still made a lot of money and they you know, they became so rich that they were the richest people who have ever existed on, on the planet at any one time. Um, and, 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 and one thing that would have been really interesting to explore would be, okay, now that they're rich and they, and they made it this way, you know, what, what does that imply? You know, what, what does that mean? You know, how does it affect your culture? How does it, you know, jibe with your beliefs and values and how is it against those beliefs and you know and and what went on in the in the heads of those people at that time that to me would have been far more interesting right secondly what would have been more interesting is you know when you when you look at this film in some ways you're just like oh my god these osage people are idiots you know the way that they're portrayed you know how can they keep letting these people marry them and and poison them and kill them and how are they how can they be so dumb how can they be well you know, it would have been interesting to, if you were going to center the Osage people, and even if you're going to center them as the victims, which I don't think you can get away with, you know, there's no other way to see it in, in, in this um, scenario, then it would be so much more interesting from, from my perspective to understand what made them vulnerable, right, to this kind of manipulation, right? Was it, was it a, a result of their, you know, did it have something to do with the the, you know, their, their, the specifics of their culture, did it have something to do with it, you know, the way it, it happened, you know, um, I don't know, it'd be just, it's, that's the, that's the real mystery in this whole thing, right, and to me, psychologically speaking, at least, that would be the most interesting point of view, is try to figure out how, you know, the Osage people were, 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 you know, how they got to be in the situation they got to be in. Um, and, and, and I mean, and it's obvious how that happened on the surface in terms of the power structure and all that. But um, to me, not addressing that just made them seem like really stupid people. And, 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 and you know, we know that's not the case. Um, but any of us can fall for that. Any, any of us can, can you know, if, if, if there's enough pressure applied and 
the circumstances are just right and there are people who have ill intent, um, pretty much anybody can fall into that trap. Um, but I think Anglo people think that they're somehow smarter than that and that they're more um, competent to be able to, you know, that's the arrogance of it. Um, and that's kind of the feeling I had about this whole thing, right? Um, that there was a, it was like the, the white man looking in and making these judgments and, but very skewed from their own particular point of view and set of values. So, yeah. Um, if you go down his review, um, you know, he talks about the people in the movie, uh, and then he talks about the the lead person in, in, amongst the investigators, whose name was Tom White. And then they bring in the specter of J. Edgar Hoover. Now, J. Edgar Hoover, we know, was a pretty horrible person. And anytime his name is evoked in something, you, you definitely have to have an asterisk at least. You know, uh, like... The, the way you have an asterisk next to Barry Bond's home run record, you know? I mean, if you're pumped up on steroids and nobody else is, you know, all right, maybe you don't take his home run, run record away from him, but you, you definitely put an, an asterisk next to it, right? Uh, J. Edgar Hoover, I know, in my opinion, you know, was a pretty despicable character. I mean, you could say, oh, well, he had a lot to do with forming the FBI and criminal justice in the United States, but man, oh man, did he have a horrible... Um, track record. So, I mean, even naming something uh, after him, to me, is problematic. But in this movie, you know, there's there's not really much mention of, you know, they invoke his name, and the only conclusion I can make is that they're invoking it to, to, to kind of reinforce his, the, his legend, basically, of this mastermind, you know, um, kind of, again, a cowboy coming in to save the day. Right, well, it was done through the character of Tom White. Now, apparently, Tom White was kind of a complex individual. In the movie, he's he's kind of a, a, you know, knight in shining armor. He seems almost impossibly too good to be true. I mean, he seems you know to be the perfect perfect guy, and I think that's not a great way to to see this movie. I mean, there were elements in the movie where it was clear that a lot of the white people were. You, it was clear that they were compromised by their own culture um, and their own place in the culture. But by the time you get to Tom White, you know, uh, all that is kind of thrown out the window. It's like a multi-culti group of people come together all of a sudden, you know, as as uh, members of the soon-to-be FBI. You know, there's an indigenous guy, there's this guy, that guy, and they all work perfectly well together. And um, <laughs> I don't know, it just... It just seems a little far-fetched. But anyway, um, he comes around a couple a couple of hours into the movie. Um, and in, in many ways, I mean, the actor who plays him is, is very skilled. And I would say, um, I think he did a good job. But uh, again, he, he wasn't really the main point of the film. Um, it was more the other two characters, white characters. That were played by Robert De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio. So, uh, you know, earlier, early on in the film, you know, the the uh, Robert De Niro character is like, you know, trying to encourage his nephew, Leonardo DiCaprio, to to marry one of the Osage women, so that they can, you know, the movie really doesn't spend much time on the mystery. I mean, you, you pretty much know what's going on from the beginning, unlike the book, I think, um, where it develops. We already know what, what, what has kind of happened. And I think in some ways that was a smart decision because, um, you know, there, there's no way you're going to enter this movie without knowing what the ending was. So you might as well just, you know, admit what the ending is from the very get-go and just show it as it, as it happens in kind of forensic style. Um, but I do think that is part of the problem. That there, there's no suspense, right? You, you know what's going to happen. Now, you could say there's a lot of dramatic irony in there because um, you know certain things that other people don't know as an audience member. 
and uh, so that that gives you that 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 tension that that can carry you along. But um, I, I think in some ways it, it fell flat. Uh, but anyway, um, so you know, the the uh, Robert De Niro character is uh, encouraging him to marry, and so Leonardo DiCaprio's character marries. Um, Osage woman. Her name is Molly. She becomes Molly Burkhart. His name is Ernest Burkhart, and I think Robert De Niro's character's name is William Hale. But um, and then from that point on, the story unfolds. Um, you know, and I think what Anthony Lane is is getting to in his in his article is that you know the certain directors who are considered auteur, meaning they write, direct, and, you know, they're, they're kind of the author of the movie. There's a very direct um, line. They control a lot of things, and some of the greatest directors were like that. And here he compares Scorsese to Igmar Bergman now. In my, I'm Igmar Bergman is one of my gods, so I think trying to compare Martin Scorsese to Igmar Bergman is, is, is a big stretch, but... Um, in the in the sense that they were both auteurs, right? Where they they had a bunch of actors that they they worked with over and over with. So Ingmar Bergman, it was Max von Sydow, and you know a whole bunch of other people. Um, and with Scorsese, it's uh, De Niro and DiCaprio, and you know there are other people, Harvey Keitel, and but in this movie, it's them. And uh, it really sets the stage for centering them. And in this case, I think it's a bad idea because you, you start telling the story through in such a convoluted way um, just so that you can... Now, this is part of the problem of Hollywood is that the actors are the ones who have much of the power, if not the most power, and they get paid the most. And so when you have a film, the first thing they ask you is, well, who's attached to this project? And if you say somebody you never heard of, they're not going to sign on usually, but um, if you say, you know, Robert Nero and Leonardo DiCaprio are attached to your project, they'll almost certainly get greenlighted. Um, but the problem is, is that uh, you know, that, that's that's an external thing that's that's informing the narrative of the of the story, and even though they're wonderful actors, um, and and they even worked have worked together. With Scorsese, I think six times at this point. Um, not only does it create a problem for me in terms of trying to believe that these people are actually these people, because you know the more famous someone gets, the harder it is to believe that they're the character that they're playing. And and I think they were terribly miscast for this. I mean, Robert De Niro, I, I would say, does a pretty good job with the William Hale character, but well, I don't know. I just feel like you know, okay, he put on a southern accent and. But other than that, he, he seems like exactly the same guy he is, a New Yorker, you know, um, and a mob guy, you know. It just, everything feels so mob. And I guess you say, oh, well, that's the kind of meta, you know, thing that's going on in the movie, and that's kind of cool. But I don't know. I think when you have too many tricks like that and they don't quite meld, if it works, if you pull it off, by all means, but in this case, it doesn't work. Same goes true with Leonardo DiCaprio. And his acting at points was very over the top. I mean, I, I got the feeling that he really was trying to embody Marlon Brando, um, the Godfather, even though his character was nothing like the character in The Godfather. His face, you know, it, it's like he put cotton in his cheeks and he, everybody had this like look on their face where the lower lip was, you know, kind of pushed out, you know. That's another thing that I thought was rather ineffective in this film is that these characters, all the white characters, were very not were, were very caricatured in the sense that they were these, you know, if you kind of wanted to come up with a character who was, you know, unlikable as a white person, you know, these characters were just, you know, there were there's certain attributes that they had, right? They were, you know, a lot of them were, you know, I'm not saying, you know, this is not a commentary, but this is part of our culture, right? That there's a kind of a fat-shaming part to it where, you know, the white characters were all big and fleshy, um, jowls, you know, unusual looking, very angular, 
you know, very extraordinary looking characters, right? Straight out of central casting. And uh, while you might want to, you know, kind of stick the dagger in further, um, I think it actually had the opposite effect. It, 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 it kind of made these seem, seem these characters seem kind of buffoonish in a way. You couldn't really take them seriously. Whereas I think in reality, these people were just regular people. They were just normal people, you know, just nondescript. And, that, and that's what's so insidious about it, right? It's the people that you're not suspecting, right, that are, that are the scary people, the ones who are pulling it off behind the scenes, right? When you look at these white characters, and the, you, you just know that they're up to no good because they, you know, they're very, um, they're very presence, you know, the way they act, the way they look, the, the, you know, the attitudes they take are, are very caricature. And um, I think that takes away from the movie, whole point of the movie is the is the insidiousness of these people you know they're just like you and me they're not these horrible you know cartoon characters they're like your neighbor be like if you found out your neighbor was was a serial killer like your kind of normalish neighbor was a serial killer that would be much more shocking right than if he, they really seem creepy and you know it's kind of like the mass murders oh they were so quiet you know but anyway that's the cliche in itself but um yeah, that that was uh, part of the problem, and Anthony Lane points this out. So I I do think this this makes a lot of sense. It was it was it was very strange. Um, he even says we can't help laughing along with Hale and Burkhart, as if they were two goons in a Scorsese mob movie. Well, I don't know. I wasn't laughing, but I I understand what you're saying. Um. So that that kind of per pervades the the whole tone of the movie. And then he says, although its moral ambition is to honor the tribulations of an indigenous people, it keeps getting pulled back into the orbit, emotional, social, and eventually legal, of white men. Molly is, Molly is the indigenous wife of Burkhardt's character. Molly is diabetic, and Burkhardt gradually suspects that the insulin injections he is giving her may be doctored, yet the focus remains more on his clenched and frowning perplexity than on her wasting away. Absolutely true. Um... Yeah, so I don't know. Lily Gladstone, it must have been hard to play this movie. I, I play this part. I, I don't know. Um, she's done some pretty amazing work. Um, in Certain uh, Women uh, by Kelly Reichardt, I thought she was very strong. And she's just a kind of actor that you, you just look at her and you say, oh, geez, I, I just, you just kind of fall in love with her because there's just something, you know, she does have that. I mean, in a lot of her characters, that's there's that stoic kind of quiet person, and and maybe that's related to you know indigenous culture or something. You know, being suspicious of the outsider and 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 and, and what you see is what you get, that kind of thing. I mean, even those are cliches, but um, there's something very beautiful about her, the tone that she projects, and uh, but I don't know. Um, geez, it seems to me like that that would be very. I I don't know. It'd be very difficult to kind of explain yourself, you know. So why you took the part, what value you found in it, you know. I guess you have to think of it like, well, yeah, I want to, I want to represent, you know. But, um, whew, I don't know. Um, don't want to second guess her, but I guess I am. Um, I mean, in some ways, we're all victims of this kind of stuff. Um, so anyway, he goes on to, you know, more than once in the movie, Molly refers to herself as incompetent. This is not a joke, but a formal term. I mean, to her it's a joke, but a formal term which the film for some reason never bothers to define. Well, I think it's pretty clear what they're trying to say. Many Osage were considered ill-suited to handling their own funds, which had to be administered by a white guardian. Yet it is a joke. As dark as oil, because Lily Gladstone as Molly is unmistakably the mo most compelling presence in the movie. Her gait is dignified and unrushed, her humor is vented in a high and lovely yelp, and her smile is deliciously knowing and slow. So knowing, in fact, that it's hard to imagine that Molly sees what Molly sees in Burkhart, whom she calls a coyote. Right, that's what I was thinking. What, what would she see in this guy? So, it didn't work to set it up the way that they did in this movie. That would have been interesting um, to see it from her point of view, right? What? Because I certainly thought Burkhardt was a jackass, and everybody else in the movie does. 
so she seems like a lovely person. Um, what, but how did she, you know, how did she, and I even think at a certain point in the movie, at least she was aware that she, he was, he was slowly poisoning her, or at least she became aware of it. And she still kind of forgave him for it. I mean, I just can't imagine that. It just seems impossible. Um, so you got, it's not as if she's blind to his basic motive. Coyote wants money, she says. All of her sisters make their mark. Myers especially does a wonderful job as Anna, who is handsome, wanton, fiery, and fatally drawn to the bottle. But Molly is at the core of the family, and Scorsese, to be fair, does her proud with a scene in which a crowd of onlookers gather near a corpse that has been found by a river, parts in silent respect to let Molly through. The camera takes the part of the bereaved. Now, in that particular scene, that's not what I got out of it. What I got out of it is this is very fetishized, right? That you're going to <clears throat> you're going to watch Molly in a very intimate way as she goes through this throng of mostly unsympathetic characters, you know, and you watch her react, right? And you see the pain because her sister has just been murdered and she's literally on site where her sister's just lying there, right? Um you know, her dead body is just lying there. And, and she has to go. I, I don't know if it's, she has to go identify her. I mean, everybody knows who she is. But it seemed like a very fetishized thing where we're going to watch this person as they go through their pain, right? Um, and in any other context, I would say, okay, yeah. But it's a little bit like when you're, <clears throat> you know, when a plane crashes. In America, when a plane crashes... Reporters go to the airport, but they never show anybody wailing in, you know, pain for because they just found out that they lost their loved ones. Well, you go do that in, you know, let's say Bangkok or or someplace like that. Well, there you're going to get a full, you're going to get it on full display. We're going to put the camera right in those people's faces. Now, why you can do that is beyond me. But that is the truth, and there's a double standard. And so I felt like that was kind of similar to what was happening in that scene. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't interpret it as a, as a very, um, let's say, there was nothing charitable about it. There was nothing, you know, even that word is diseased. It, it, it didn't feel right to me. It felt like a slap in the face. Um, so anyway, that was another thing that really kind of caught my eye. Um, and then he just kind of concludes by saying, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon is rife with such passages of action and inaction in tune with its symphonic stateliness, themes of oppression, vengeance, and resistance are developed and recapitulated throughout. And there's also a strange coda in which Corsese himself turns up. He plays an announcer on an old school radio drama, which retells the saga of the Osage murders, complete with cheesy sound effects. Needless to say, the heroes of the show are Hoover's boys from the Bureau. Is Scorsese claiming that, in contrast to this low-rent travesty, he has reclaimed the original terrors of the case? Or is he more humbly confessing that his film is just one more version of a tragedy that can never be fully fathomed or explained? Next time, perhaps, an Osage voice will tell the tale anew. Now, I, I think he's, I wouldn't call it diplomatic, I think he's straddling the fence here, and it's its kind of not very courageous of him to say something like that, because I would go much further than that, right? I would say, um, you know, the, to put himself, to center himself in the story, oh my God, when I saw that, it really made me cringe. Because I'm like, who is Martin Scorsese? I mean, he's playing a character, okay. But, you know, he's basically himself. And, you know, he's reading this kind of, you know, just a, a paragraph of something. And, it, and, and to me, it was just painful. I thought, who is he, you know, to kind of have, have the final word on this? on this production. Yes, he is a director, but, you know, I don't think Mark Scorsese is like, you know, some guy who, he, he's not like, uh, you know, let's say Cesar Chavez would be to Latino people. You know, he, he hasn't really done anything politically, right, uh, that he's probably thrown money at a whole bunch of stuff, but, you know, he's a film director. Um, he's, he's not a political activist. 
but 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 he 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 puts himself in that position as if he is that, and that felt terrible. And and the shock at the end when they have this 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 radio retelling of the of a thing, it's like it's 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 hard to interpret. Like like Anthony Lane is saying, it's like is is he admitting that he should have never made this movie, or is he saying, well, you know, this is what happened. This is a story. This is what often happens with with indigenous stories and we're going to acknowledge that by you know kind of putting an end cap on this on this movie it was it's just very um jarring you know it seemed like it was added on as as an apology you know an apology right um apologia you know uh, uh, an explanation as to why this movie is bad it's almost like he's saying like you know, at the very least, nobody can really do this story justice, right? And certainly if the white man and the people in power do it, they're, they're going to fuck it up. Well, yeah, they kind of pretty much fucked it up. But it seems like they're trying to excuse, you know, it's, uh, again, I, you know, uh, me fears thou dost uh, protest too much, you know, that Shakespearean uh, feeling that, uh, uh, you know, uh, at a certain point, you should probably just stay out of it. And uh, if you're going to go down, go down, you know, fall on your own sword, you know. Um, unfortunately, what has happened is that this movie has is going to be seen as some kind of a remarkable um, document that, uh, that honors the fate of the people who suffered, the Osage people. But um, I think it's almost exactly the opposite. It's quite warped. Um, I didn't like it at all. It made me feel terribly uncomfortable. And, uh, you know, if I feel that way, I, I can't imagine any, any Native person watching this movie and thinking it's a good movie. Um, it's, it's, it's almost the opposite. Uh, if, if I were Scorsese, if I had a little more insight, you know, and 20 years goes by, I, I, I might want to just... Just take it off the shelf, you know, and 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 call it a, a terribly misguided um, attempt to 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 make a good movie and 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 be be empathetic with the Osage people. But I think he 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 has just doubled down on exactly the same kind of things that uh, people have done um, over the ages, um, you know, ever since the movie, but even before that. Um, but you have examples, uh, certainly, of people who have 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 made you know pretty decent movies. They might they might be skewed in pretty bad ways and are just as uh, just as uh, caricaturish and or off point or decentering or. But at least they have you know at least you feel like their heart is in the right place. I don't I don't know if the heart is in the right place here. I mean I I think there's a kind of a secondary. It's like the, they throw them a little bone, but. Um, I don't know. This didn't seem any more evolved um, in terms of uh, the, when you put it in the context of the history of, of making movies. So it's actually pretty sad. I, 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 I hate to see it. I, I think um, Martin Scorsese, when he, when he, when he, he, even though he wants to feel like he's Howard Hawks or you know somebody like that, um, or William Wyler, somebody who can actually make a, a, a quite a diversity of films and pull them all off pretty well uh, I don't think he's a guy I think he's a niche director and when he's a niche director he's at its best he's at his best and uh, mostly because he understands the world you know he's part of it I mean he is centered you know in that world and his characters are centered in that world so it makes sense for him to make movies like like Goodfellas and Casino and uh, The Irishman that all that all makes perfect sense, and he does a really good job. But anytime he takes on a theme, you know, I remember seeing the one that was on the Portuguese, uh, you know, priests who, you know, I mean that that one was, again, I thought, not in the same way this one is, but I, I thought this is this is a very flawed movie. I mean, he's not the guy to be making this movie. So I guess. Um, you know what I'm saying is like where where can we find something that uh, really is beautiful and and 
and uh, centers the indigenous people is made and directed and written by indigenous people. That's not about victimization. That's, you know, even as an Italian-American, the mob stuff gets tired, like I said yesterday. Um, you know, the, the mob stuff gets a little tiring after a while. I mean, you know, there's a whole industry in Italy, you know, post-war that was so beautiful, you know, and even pre-war, um, taking on amazing subjects and and uh, things that uh, spoke to the Italian Italian culture that were that were not centered on the mob, right? Um, in Italy, that that really isn't you know the main the main thread of their film history. That's more an, an Italian American thing, you know, with the Godfather and you know what Coppola has done. Um, and what Scorsese has done. Scorsese just kind of updated it a little bit into modern times. Um, but I really think he should stick to, you know, he, he wants to be a great director. And he is a great director, but he's a niche director. Um, he's not really the, you know, the kind of director he wants to be, and I don't think he ever will be. I think he has a certain blinder, a set of blinders on, um, that have to do with his own culture, but also the greater American culture and being part of the power structure. Um, you know, if I were him, you know, I know he really wanted to make this movie, but uh, I think it, 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 it he, you know, he, it was a bad move. And uh, if someone would have approached him and said, hey, we think you're the director for this film, if, if if he would have taken a moment to think about it, I think um, it would have been better for him to to pass and uh, maybe even give someone else an opportunity, right? You know, if you don't want to do it, find somebody out there who you know, who's indigenous, who can really do a much better job. Now, would would an indigenous director take this on? You know, would they would they consciously be okay? Well, I I know this is going to be a another victimization movie. But um, I don't think, I think an argument can be made that, uh, you know, you can, you can do a victimization movie in a sense. I mean, every culture has a version of this, you know, but, but it's, it's, your heart has to be in the right place and you have to have empathy with the victims and they have to be the main event. And um, oftentimes that's, that's, telling it from their point of view. And I really think this would have been a much better film had it been had it been told from from the view of the Osage people. But uh, that's my take on it. I know I'm going to have a lot of people, you know, tell me that I'm wrong and that these are just details and that uh, you know, it's a great movie. But uh, I would have you watch it again. And um, sometimes on a second viewing, you can be a little bit more open to, you know, seeing things that, let's say, don't sit well. But um, particularly if you're from the dominant culture. Anyway, that's my take on it. And um, I guess I could have gone into more details of it because there were a whole bunch of things that uh, really disturbed me about this. But um, I think Anthony Lane did a fairly good job of picking those things out. And, uh, you know, I think um, some of the uh, criticism by um, Devery Jacobs is, is spot on. I mean, um, geez, if I felt it, I can't, I can't even imagine how, how an indigenous person would feel about it. Um, but it's, it's like one more victimization, right? Um, uh you know, there, there is, it is difficult to, to make movies and documentaries because you need a subject and, and sometimes the subject and the, and the person who are making are not necessarily seeing things um, eye to eye. And so that can cause a, a little bit of bad blood, right? But, um, you know, it tends to, when, when things are working, when people are more or less getting out, getting out of the project what they want, um, you know, that's, you know, you kind of go along knowing that everything is flawed to some extent. 
but but this one is so fatally flawed that uh, it's really a shame that it's getting all these accolades and you know it's just one more example of uh, I think indigenous people being victimized by um, the greater culture and then the greater culture um, not even being aware of how offensive the material is um, you know, you even have people who are, are not Anglo, uh, who are, uh, giving movie reviews. And, and I, I, I just can't even believe, you know, you know, there are Asian critics, there are all sorts of critics, African-American critics. And, and, and when they, you would think that there would be some sensitivity given their history and how things have gone and the way that they're portrayed in movies and the rest of it. But you know, if you want to keep your job as a critic, um, you know, the, 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 the inconvenient truth is unfortunately the thing that gets sacrificed to the, to the gods of commerce, right, of uh, making movie. Because it's all, again, the film industry has become making money and being a business first, and the art is second. In my view, it should be the art is first because that's the commodity that gets made first and then business falls from that. But uh, that's a much bigger topic that I probably don't want to get into. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, that's it for today. Bye, Joe Show for October 28th, 2023. And uh, next time I think I will uh, go back to the conflict in the Middle East because things have been developing at a very rapid pace, and I think there's a lot more to be said about it. So until then, probably early next week, um, that's it for today. Giovanni McGuire reporting. Um, <laughs> that's my, my, my take on the critique of Martin Scorsese's Killer of the Flower Moon. Please don't go see it. It ain't good. Take care.